Hello and welcome to another TechBound podcast episode. Today I'm talking to none other than Eli Schwartz, author of the recently published book, Product-Led SEO. Eli is also a growth advisor to many known companies like WordPress, Gusto, GetAround, or Mixpanel, and the former director of growth at SurveyMonkey. Eli is a longstanding friend, and in this conversation, we speak about many gems, such as what is product-led SEO, the compounding effect of SEO, learning from the competition, project-managing SEO, and many, many other things. Make sure to listen all the way to the end. Give me five stars, comment on YouTube, and enjoy this conversation with none other than Eli Schwartz. Three, two, one. Eli, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Kevin. I really wish this were in person, but we'll have to settle for Zoom. Plus one to that, plus one to that. However, you just recently published a book, Product-Led SEO. Got it right here in front of me. And of course, I have tons of questions, but you know, for, for those who haven't read it yet or um, for pretty much anybody, what's the key message of the book? So I really wrote the book to the executive or to the person managing SEO that really doesn't have enough background around SEO. So I've been a consultant for the last little bit more than two years. And I talk to founders and CEOs and leaders all the time. And they always have so many misunderstandings about SEO. And I would like explain things to them. And they, they would say, where can I read more about this? There are many blogs they could read more about this. There are podcasts they can hear more about this on. There are conferences they can learn more about this. But there was never a book and executives want a book. So like, that's, that's who the book is for. It's really to understand like, what is SEO really about? It's not about like the terrible things they hear about buying links or, you know, stuffing keywords or... Really, I actually wrote the book because I was afraid you were going to beat me to it. So I wrote it first. Like the kinds of things that you say, like the, it, no, there are no secrets in the book. It's really the, the way to approach SEO and the way to think of SEO. And it's like, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions out there is like, there's a cat and mouse game between Google. And like, every time there's an algorithm update, like you're getting caught, like who's been hurt by the algorithm update. And like, that's the wrong way to approach search, right? Like we as users wouldn't be using Google if that's the way Google treated the internet. If Google was like always trying to catch the bad people doing the bad stuff, like we want Google to be a really good service for us because, you know, even if we spend eight hours a day doing SEO, we probably spend another eight hours a day being Google users and searching on Google. So that that's who the book is for to really understand SEO. Hopefully the book isn't obsolete as fast as a tactical book would be. No, I, I think I'll, I'll bet some money that the answer to that is no. And I love how you really thought about the target audience for a book. Cause I think we can talk more later about what it means to write a book, but I think it is easy to just like write down what you know without really thinking who it's for. And so when we think about that target audience executives who might have misconceptions about SEO, let's talk real quick about what it is, what the challenges are that these executives face, right? Like why do they want and maybe need to learn more about SEO? And why do you think where these misconceptions come from? So the, the misconceptions come from the fact that there really isn't enough material on SEO. I love SEO. You know, I know you love it too. And we've been doing it for a really long time. 
And it's one of those things that's like, they still don't really teach it in schools. You know, like you're not going to get into like an undergrad, like a really good undergrad class in SEO, which is insane because like SEO has been around for 20 years. I'm sure they're getting close to teaching crypto classes, like official crypto classes in universities and crypto has hardly been around at all and might not even make that much sense to teach because it's constantly changing. And like, there's no SEO class taught. There's no like, you know, I'm talking university level, not digital marketing boot camps, not like community college. Like, here's what you need to do for your job. I'm talking like you go to college and like you can major in marketing and you pick a digital marketing class and you're actually taught how this thing works. So I think that's where the misconceptions come from. Like it's, it's learning by the seat of your pants. It's like the agencies going into companies and teaching them the wrong things when, and, and there's just not enough information. So like executives are gathering all the, the little bits of information they know and that's where the misconceptions come from. And it's reinforced over and over and over again. And I think some of the biggest misconceptions are really based on like SEO is going to be very tactical. And like, you know, I've talked to executives and I'm like, where am I going to go get links? And, you know, there's once I was talking to a bank and they said, where am I going to get links? And I said, you get links from the Federal Reserve. Like you get links from the Chamber of Commerce. Like, why would you go out and try to like buy links from like an IBM forum? They weren't thinking of it like that. So, and then going to the point of like, why should they care? And why do they think about it? I was recently talking to a company. They're growing really, really fast. So like they're generating hundreds of millions of dollars as, you know, from revenue at just because they're growing they're, They have a great brand. They have good marketing channels. They have good brand channels. And they also want to have a good SEO channel. Now, just because of the brand, just because of the vertical they're in, they will do well on SEO. And the way they think about this is, you know, let's say 10% of all of their acquisition is going to come from SEO, no matter what, right? And I, I maybe Shopify is in the same position. Like maybe it's not even something that you're going to focus so much on, but 10% of your acquisition, 20% of your acquisition is just going to come from SEO. The dollar amount they put on that over the next five years, which is the way I think you should think about SEO is like over a long period of time, not instant gratification. The dollar amount they put on that SEO traffic over five years is a billion dollars. It sounds like a huge number, but like, it's actually not when you calculate the fact that they're going to make over the next five years, tens of billions of dollars. And they think just a billion of it will come from SEO. Not crazy at all. So that's why executives need to know about this. They want to build, they want to do the right thing. They want to get that billion dollars. How are they going to do it? Who should they think about building that team with? And like, what are the tools they need? And not, not by tools, by, by like SEO tools. What are the, what's like the platforms they need? What are, what, what are the resources, all of that. And, that's why they need this. And like this channel is growing and it's growing in importance. And like the pandemic shifted the, that mix. So I'm very, very bullish about SEO. And I, I know you are too. And I want to dig into that with you. What do you mean? You don't think that SEO is going to die next year? Is it over? I, I hope like all my competitors <laughs> believe that. But like, it, I mean, it, it's so funny. The people that think SEO is dying, like they go on Google images to find the best image to use in their posts. Like if <laughs> SEO is dead, why are you going on Google images? Like, okay, let's all go to Pinterest now to do that. Like SEO is never going to die. Like we're going on search. And if we're going to leave all this to Google to like decide how to, you know, rank the web without having any input, that's the same, right? Like, yes, Google uses AI to rank the web. Yes, they have algorithms to rank the web, but we can influence that. Right. Right. I'm, I'm all with you there. And I'm actually very happy that you wrote a book and that there is so much interest about the book or for the book because it, show, it goes to show that SEO is a topic that's on many 
executives' minds, right? And to really quickly like uh, look into the book and table of contents, right? You cover basic uh, topics like the basics of SEO and how search works, which is super important to understand if you want to, of course, be good in SEO. Of course, you cover the topic of product-led SEO, uh, but I, I love how you point out SEO is a job for humans, right? You talk about strategic SEO and not just tactical SEO, which is, is very unusual for SEOs because of, we love our tactics. Um, and then you also talk about SEO categories, the company SEO, right? Like, I think like what I, what I love is that you give the right introduction to SEO, but you also show that there is a whole process and machinery behind SEO. It's not just a tactic, right? Like it's, it's getting things done. It's shipping, executing, monitoring, gathering feedback, competitive analysis, right? It's all of these kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to strategic SEO, it's like, not to uh, ride too hard on, on some of the people in our industry, but sometimes they're very, very focused on tactics and they, no one asks them the why. So like, you know, they'll say, I'm, I'm building links. I need to get, you know, DA80 links. Why? What happens if you don't get DA80 links? I need to rebuild an entire website because it's in JavaScript and it, I need to rebuild it. Why? Well, what happens if you don't? Like, are you act, do you know that you're actually suffering from your, your way you're currently set up? And like my favorite thing to ask the why is on page speed. And you and I, we've worked for big companies. And like, I know that like at SurveyMonkey, somebody once planted an idea on, on, I forget which team it was that was focused on page speed that they need to fix page speed. Now I think page speed is really important. And one of the reasons many companies have terrible page speed is they have too many pixels. Like they're, they're calling too many services. Outside that, you get rid of the pixels you don't need. But outside that, like SurveyMonkey had data centers. So like fixing our page speed was going to be incredibly expensive. So the why is like, okay, if we fix our page speed, are we really going to get more traffic or is this going to be a better user experience? If it's a better user experience, of course do that and then calculate the ROI based on that. To just get all greens on, you know, whatever the latest Google page experience scoring is like, that could be very expensive for a big company and a large brand. I am all with you. I hate these kind of like dogmatic approaches to SEO. And that's the power of strategic SEO, right? Like if you are not a servant of tactics, right? You don't become so sensitive and vulnerable to any changes that Google does, right? Because you just simply change the strategy. So uh, I think it's an important point to make. And you spoke a little bit about the ROI, of SEO, or better said, of certain uh, strategies and tactics. And it leads me very well to a point in one of the big topics in the book that I wanted to focus on, which is the idea of a SEO product manager. I have a couple of questions about that. Um, the first one is, why is it important to have an SEO PM and how do you find a good SEO PM? So, I don't know that the industry and our industry is ready for SEO to be in product management. However, even if you're not in product management and you report to marketing leaders, you can still think of SEO as a product. And the reason why I think it's important is because when you're doing SEO wrong, and, and, and you know, this is, I talk a little bit in the book about how this doesn't necessarily work, then the idea of like focusing on content, look at keyword research pick a keyword and then do all the things you do to rank on it. And that's your effort, right? There's no strategic why behind that. I'm just like, I'm creating content. But when you think about SEO in the context of building a product, which is building something of value for a user, I know there's a user here and not just guessing it based on keyword research tools. I know what the user wants. The user wants, again, there's too many best practices, quote unquote, around SEO. It needs to be 1500 words. It needs to be you know, 200 words. 
I think it needs to be as long as it needs to be for the user you have identified. So once you've identified a user, then you sort of think of it as a product, which is it needs to be X amount of words. It needs to have this sort of layout and it needs to have this sort of supporting imagery. So that becomes multiple teams, which is I need a content team to produce the content. I need a designer to pick the images and to lay out the page. I need an engineer to build that for me. So when you think about that as a product, you're bringing all that together and with the product manager, the SEO person in, in the middle of this hub. So that's why I think of it as a product. When you think about SEO from like a marketing standpoint, it's like, well, I'm a SEO on a marketing team. I control the content. I'm going to tell the content person what to do. I'm going to go SEO it after the fact and then move on to the next piece of content. And that linear approach, I think, is the wrong way to really grow SEO and to think about you know, like I said earlier about the, the company wants a billion dollars over the next five years, you don't get a billion dollars over five years by like creating pieces of content. Realistically, how many pieces of content are you going to create in one year? How many pieces of content you can create in five years? Like that doesn't get you to a billion dollars. That gets you to like a nice library of content. It doesn't get you to like a, you know, huge, huge site. Absolutely. I love that. Cause I think the SEOPM is so important, right? It's, I think it's a role that that isn't new, but that gains a lot of popularity and importance because SEO is so execution driven, right? Like you, there's, there's, there's a huge red tail of product and project management that SEOs have to do. And I think the separation between the subject matter expertise of SEO and actually managing SEO, that division, in my opinion, will grow over time. Now you spoke about earlier how there's not really like a, like a degree in, in SEO in that sense, right? Um, and you also spoke a little bit about like a, a SEO being part of a marketing degree. And in the book, you actually make the case that SEO should live under product. So let me ask a bit of a provocative question, right? If you were to design a, or if you were to, in, to integrate SEO in a degree, should it be in marketing or product development? I think it, so it, it's interesting. I think structurally within a company, SEO should be a part of product. And I stumbled upon this by accident. I was reported to a product. Actually, my entire time at SurveyMonkey, I reported up to product, but marketing was also under product. So that was very helpful. We were a very effective marketing organization when marketing was under product. Then I reported to marketing and I wasn't as effective. And then I accidentally reported to CPO just because they didn't have anywhere to like really sit SEO. So I was on a marketing team, a very small digital marketing team that had the CPO as the boss. And I got many, many good things out of that. Like, for example, I actually got a raise because the the, product, the CPO couldn't have marketers there. So I was changed to a product manager and I got a bump in salary. I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. I'm doing the exact same job, but now I'm a product manager and I make more money. So like, let's keep it like this. But like the other thing I saw is like, I, I would have to like use product wording and product processes. Like I, I need to like explain things to engineers and, you know, prioritize it wasn't just like, well, this is my job. So everything that comes in front of me has to get SEO'd. It's like, well, this is my job, but I can't get anybody to do anything unless I have a higher priority than them. And then if I have a higher priority, I can do whatever I want. I have all these engineers at my disposal. However, I still think SEO is marketing because it's customer facing. It's you're going out there and you're, you're creating you know, messaging. So I think when you teach it, you certainly want to combine it with how you teach marketers. But I, I think in the internet world, I concept between product and marketing do definitely intersect a lot more than they do in the, you know, the offline physical world. 
I love how you pointed out that marketing became more effective on a product because the 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 way to think about product management, I think, is something that more SEOs and marketers should embrace. I'm not a big fan of absolute statements, but this is one of the few situations where I really think there's a, a net benefit of adopting product management habits, rituals, and ways of thinking, right? Opportunity sizing. You just mentioned that, right? Like we talked about our ROI, we spoke about, you know, um, how big of an, a priority is that going to be? And the priority is always, always determined by the opportunity. And good opportunity sizing, I think, is something that SEOs have traditionally been bad at, at least in, in my opinion. And at the same time, you know, it's, it's such a deal breaker, right? I think a lot of times SEOs don't get things done because they, they're not good enough at showing the opportunity, which can be massive. You know, let's not blame the SEO so much for that. (laughs) (laughs) Their fault lies with the executive. So we've all had these kind of executives where the executive has the wrong knowledge. The executive thinks it's about keywords. So as the executive rides on whoever reports them, let's say it's a VP of marketing, well, hey, why are we not ranking on these keywords? Who rides on the SEO person to explain why they're going to rank on keywords? So then that's what they report on. They, They use ranking reports to explain how they're being effective. So that's why I wrote the book because I want the executives to think better because it does come top down. I want the executive to say, you know, like this executive I just talked to who wants to build a billion dollar opportunity. I want the executives to say, I don't care what the keywords are. I don't care what the URLs are. Unlock a billion dollars for me. Instead of like, well, unless you get that big money keyword, you haven't done your job. I don't care if you make me a billion dollars. Like literally, I don't care if you make a billion dollars. We are number four or we're on the second page for that keyword that, you know, my CEO keeps asking me about. So yes, the SEOs are too myopic in the way they do reporting and they're too keyword focused and they don't think about opportunity sizing and they don't think about, you know, one of my favorite things is, you know, I talk about this in the book, like how SEO and other teams tie together. So the SEO person will, will not think about like how maybe they, they should be helping out things that are lower in the funnel, like not try to go after a conversion. How can I get more people to fall into the retargeting pool so the paid marketing team can convert those people? But again, that, that's not the SEO team's fault because the SEO team is told, hey, go get me good rankings. And if you, if you get me good rankings or you get me bad rankings and the paid marketing team converts that, that traffic, then they get a raise and they get more budget. So it's the executives that are thinking of this the wrong way. I, yeah, I, I think there's definitely responsibility on the executive side, uh, no doubt about that. And I'm glad that now they have a book that they can, uh, that they can look at. You, you also write about project management. Uh, and I found it very interesting. You, you said in the book that... Stack ranking was developed 40 years ago and should be retired. Describe a little bit what the alternative or the modern approach to stack ranking looks like. I think so. Yeah, it's a it's a tough topic because every organization has their own ways of doing things. And like, you know, now that I'm consulting, I have to like embed with every organization's way of making decisions. I think when it comes to SEO, stack ranking is too difficult because you're building a product that's going to affect, let's say someone's building a product that's going to affect tens of thousands of users and you're doing SEO that's going to like, uh, when, when you put how much impact it's going to have, well, in the next six months, I'm going to get like another thousand users. So stack ranking does work against SEO like that. I would say what should be better, what's better, more effective for SEO is opportunity sizing, which is I'm going to update the homepage, you know, which is going to help marketing better, you know, get their message out and help better flow our content through the site and better flow users through the site. 
there's an, an unknown amount of users that will come from this. Whereas this product team, they're building a widget, which you know customers are calling in about, and then you try to size it against each other. So that I just think that when it comes to like SEO, it's hard to measure up against the other products and the other initiatives that are being pitched. In my book, I do have a, you know, a spreadsheet that I try to use that could help make SEO look similar to other things. But it is, it's sort of the awareness around what SEO is doing that works against it when we're using the exact same metrics. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, little side question to that. Um, when you consult businesses, how do you, how do you create more awareness for SEO? How do you create also more empathy for SEO and empathy for the challenges that we face in SEO? So that's something I'm not that great at as a consultant because I'm brought in as an outsider. So the, the executive sponsor that I work with, they have to create that empathy and they have to really understand where SEO matters. And it usually comes from their boss who they've convinced their boss, this is going to be a $200 million channel. I need you to budget this and then don't ask me too many questions until we're, we're a year into this. When I've worked with organizations where they're very focused on instant gratification. So they say, okay, we're, we want to like, give us an audit and tell us what's wrong. And you know, in my book, I talk about audits. Like I don't love doing audits because I've been on the receiving end of them. They are, there's not a lot of, so what they may be very long, but there's not like, okay, so I, I fix my, I reorder my title tag. Will that give me a bump in traffic or is that just going to reorder my title tag? So I try to convince the people I talk to and the executives I talk to that it's, you're not going to get an audit, which you're going to implement that's instantly going to bump traffic. This is going to be a longer, you know, long, really long project where we identify opportunities and we grow into those opportunities and we fix the way we, we go to market. Like, again, everything is longer. So I'm not successful when the executives are like, I don't really care about this thing. Just give me more traffic. And these are the things I know. They get, what are the audits? What am I fixing? And how much more traffic will it get me? And you know, sometimes I've, I've worked with those organizations where they focus, they're very, very focused on keywords. And I'll go in and be like, okay, great. You're ranked number one for this keyword. And my favorite example is with a company that was in a two-sided marketplace. They had buyers and sellers and they were focused very much on the seller. And that was a lot smaller. However, all the keyword traffic is around the buyers. There's more people looking to buy that product. So they were ranked very highly on those buyer keywords, which converted into absolutely nothing for them. So they were very focused on their rankings. They invest all their initiatives and they, and essentially after working with them for a while, they said, we're not really getting ROI from SEO. And I'm like, of course you're focused on the wrong goal, right? So like when it comes down to it, the executives, the internal employees need to have that empathy, need to have that awareness of what SEO is supposed to do. And I can try my best, but I find that sometimes I'm not in all those meetings. So I can tell my point of contact and they'll tell their point of contact. The executive will be like, okay, that's very good all you're saying, but what about why we rank number two, right? So like it, the message is lost. Been there, done that, seen that many times before. And it's, it's also, you know, um, I think it's sometimes an art, right? Like I certainly... I think one thing that I learned over my career in time in SEO is that sometimes you have to like give a little and take a little, right? Like sometimes you have to give that executive that number, that, that freaking ranking, even though it's not very impactful, just to show that you can move the needle. And then from there, take them to a place of like, hey, now that we got this keyword down, let me show you all the other thousand keywords that we should also be thinking about, or even the, all the things that come from those keywords, as you, as you said. 
spoke a little bit about audits, and I think audits are are one way to inform an SEO strategy. And another way is to learn from the competition. How do you learn from the competition? So in my book, I talk about blue ocean and red ocean. So I don't love the idea of talking about competition. Just to explain what blue ocean, red ocean is a really, really good book called Blue Ocean Strategies, which talks about the idea of you can either be better than the focus on what the competition is doing, just be slightly better than competition, have a better price, I don't know, slightly better customer service, or you can go into blue ocean, which is the place where nobody at all is, and then you own that entire market. And I, I think when it comes down, like that's a really the best way of explaining keyword research and my approach to keywords, which is if you're doing keyword research, you're going to any of your favorite keyword research tools, that's a red ocean. Those are keywords that already existed. People search them. So therefore the keyword research tools capture them. If you go into blue ocean, that's the place where you can own the keywords, right? If you know, and like you talk to your users and you know that there are users searching for this, but or they want that, but they aren't really searching for it. And then you create the content for it. You'll sort of own it forever. My favorite example of that is Zillow, right? So Zillow drives all their traffic from people's personal addresses. Those addresses don't exist in keyword research tools, but obviously Zillow knew when they started their business that people were looking for that sort of information and they created it. And that's like the ultimate blue ocean. And they'll own that forever. I, I think when it comes down to like thinking about the competition, I think the business itself always should think about why they're better than the competition and have that come across in their SEO. So say you are, um, and this is like, again, Amazon, right? So like Amazon dominates all of e-commerce. Are you going to say like, I'm going to out SEO Amazon and one day I'm going to rank number one in all these commoditized products. I'm going to be out SEO Amazon and Walmart and, and Macy's and, and all, right, all these Best Buy. And that's how I'm going to beat the competition. Or are you going to say, um, you know, again, uh, B&H photo is a good example. You can say I'm B&H photo. I'm the number one place for people to buy these kind of products because they have the, you know, the best offering for it. I'm not going to think about chasing Amazon. I'm going to think about being the best in the photo and audio and video category. And that's it. And you know what? Many times B&H does beat out Amazon because in those categories, they're better. So that that's the way I think about the competition, which is how am I generally better than a competition? How do I think about that message coming across an SEO? And not just like, how am I going to out-hustle the competition? And sometimes when it comes to like out-hustling the competition, the message were to get lost, right? Like if B&H were to out-hustle Amazon, maybe it wouldn't come across that they're the best in photo, audio, and video. Yeah, so, so it's a lot of playing to your strengths, uh, looking for opportunities instead of facing a challenger head-on, right? Yes. And copying cop and copying just makes no sense to me. Like, <laughs> you know, there's like the skyscraper method of like creating content <laughs> where like, so you create better content, but like who says that longer is better or who says that Google is going to recognize longer is better. And like, yeah, sometimes if the content is, is thin and I, one of the places people take advantage of this is Reddit and Quora. They have some really great content. It doesn't rank as well on like, you know, more authoritative queries. So maybe that is a way you can, and again, I think it's wrong, but like take all the Reddit and Quora answers and roll it into one of your pieces of content. But otherwise to say, you know, uh, you wrote about this topic, let's say it's uh, e-commerce, right? Uh, you wrote about e-commerce, I'm going to write about e-commerce better and I'm going to rank on e-commerce. I think that's a wrong expectation. Yeah, I'm laughing because I had the exact same thought, right? Of the skyscraper method. And in certain areas, it can certainly work, right? But I think 
I think people got this all wrong, right? And I think that also as Google gets so much better at machine learning and really understands the depth of content and quality, a lot of those approaches just simply don't work anymore, right? To just like, as you said, like out hustle another piece of content. And even if you like, sure, like there's a certain competition, right? And sometimes you do face that situation where you have to be the competitor and they're really good. But then the goal cannot be to just create more, right? The goal has to be to create better. And I know that Brian D didn't come up with the skyscraper method with that in mind. I think, you know, this was totally legit, but reality is that just having more items in a listicle will not help you with your SEO, right? It's funny how sometimes, you know, like you have this like, 15 ways to do X, right? And then, you know, the, the old school SEO goes and says, okay, let's, let's write 20 things to do X or 20 ways to do X, right? Instead of thinking, what if I wrote about the three best ways to do X, right? Like there's a cutoff point at which quantity, more quantity is not what people want. They, they want it to be narrowed down, right? I see it a lot in the affiliate space. So yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that we, that we had a similar thought there, but the, the copy mentality is tricky. And I do understand where it comes from in SEO, right? Like SEO or the, the SERPs are something like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way, because Google tells you what expectations they have or what they reward, but then to just copy that, I think that's, that's a bit of a fallacy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think that the better way of thinking about this is like searches people are going to do are going to continue growing. Like I, I love the way, uh, you know, all these devices roll into like Google learning better. And the queries, and I, I think I just saw it again, that Google said 20% of all queries are new. So, mm. or, or at least it's 15% of all queries they see are still new. So instead of focusing on those queries everyone else is doing and, and copying a competition, think about the fact that like you're offering a really good service and there's going to be really good queries and like assume that that carries forward into every single vertical. But if you can capture that 15% without competition, that's a whole lot better place to be. I, I spoke a lot about how flawed of the metric even search volume is, right? Like we could rave about this for hours, but I agree with you. I think like having a strong market research team that can inform what topics people actually care about can be so much more valuable. The challenge is then to say, okay, right? Like we, we did user research or a survey or something. We know people are interested in that, but how big is the opportunity, right? And should we create content for it? But that's, that's more of an execution problem. Uh, no, no. So that's the product method. So uh, have you ever been in these product meetings where they're like, all right, this is how many people are going to use it. And you're like, what are you, how do you know that? What you just made that up. So like if you're an SEO product manager and you just say, well, here's the keyword search volume, but I think my tool is only capturing 1% of that suddenly you're making, now I'm not recommending you make stuff up, but you authoritatively estimate how big your market is. And I don't think product managers are, they're not rigorously using keyword search volume or any sort of search volume. They're surveying, they're talking to users. I think if you are less focused on the minutia and on the, the, you know, the granular data that we get from keyword research and more focused on you know, there. Let's say you have a product for you know people that drive uh, you know small cars. There are this many people that drive small cars. I think I can you know potentially get ten percent of them. That's my number. Instead of saying, well, here's my keyword, and I think the keyword represents ten percent of that, and like I'm going to gross it up by a hundred because I think seasonality. Like, then it sounds like you're making numbers up, right? So like, go that other way, dude. You know, do the exact same thing as a product manager. Tell me, tell me more about that. How should SEOs tackle that? Like how, how can they, what are some like specific things that they can do to better opportunity size or size such an opportunity? 
All right, let, let's let's take my favorite example from from 2020, and and you know I don't talk about this in the book because I wrote the book, but you know before 2020, and I was editing in 2020. Well, the top product searched in 2020 were like surgical, like masks in general, and gloves and hand sanitizer. None of that ever would have been captured in search volume, and I think a lot of the COVID terms weren't captured in any of the tools we used for a very long time because they you know, they had to normalize and you know they they spikes aren't show up and even Google Trends like you can't necessarily see those keywords unless you look for those keywords, you have to know to look for those keywords. Now let's think about masks in general. So if you were to go to Google and look for masks, and I've never done this, I'm making up numbers. Let's say Google will tell you there's uh, 300,000 searches per month on the keyword mask, okay? Totally making this up. Now, let's say you're focused on the US market and you say there are 250 million people in America who are need to wear a mask because they're over seven or whatever the cutoff ages. And this is how many people need to, they need, this is how many masks they need to have. So let's say that's 10. So, you know, for argument's sake, 250 million people times 10. And then that's, that's your total market size, right? So like, those are the people that you're going to get now say, I, I expect to get, um, 10%. So we're back to 250 million. So there's 250 million potential customers that are going to search or going to click on your result for mask. Let's say you're Amazon and that your Amazon's going to own that. That that's how you would size that market. Not be like, oh, there's 300,000 keyword searches for mask. I'm going to gross it up by 10. So there's 3 million and uh, you know, I can get 10% of that. Like we're back down to 300,000. Like the numbers are much, much bigger. Use the total adjustable market. Uh, I was in the car space a long, long time ago with automotive content. And the same idea, like we were looking at, here's how many people look for uh, the keyword Toyota Camry. And here's what I think I can rank on Toyota Camry. Instead of saying, here's how many people drive this kind of car. And during their process of driving that car, whether they choose to buy a Camry or an Accord, they potentially will search Toyota Camry. And here's how many people I hope to touch with on my content. That number is a lot bigger. And if you look at it, and I know that you know, you're in this position at Shopify, and I've been in this position with other big brands that people specifically look for, the keyword search volume on the primary brand is usually 10 times. I'm just talking the brand keyword is 10 times what any any keyword research tool will tell you. And even that, that's Google Search Console. And I don't even think Google Search Console is telling us all the volume. So that's just one word. There are people are looking for that brand. Like I worked with a brand, like one of the largest brands in the internet space. And even the people that use their competitors search their brand. So like that's a better representation of the total addressable market than keyword research and the way you would approach it. And again, if you talk through that with some sort of authority in a meeting and say, here's how big my market is and here's what I estimate and I'm going to create content that's going to appeal to that market rather than I'm going to create one piece of content and I'm going to glue in that keyword 10 times and I hope to like rank number three and here's my click curve and here's how many clicks I'm going to get and here's my conversion rate. It's so much more logical to be like, hey, here's how many people there are Here's what I hope to accomplish. And then you can be super conservative and say, all right, there's 300 million people. I'm going to get 1%. And that's still a big number. I love that. It's, I love that. It's so like rational. It's logical. There's some basic math involved. And it's much more relatable for non-SEOs because you don't talk about search volume, which first you have to explain how to get to that metric and all this kind of stuff, right? I find it very effective. And then you, it's much easier also for a company to invest in SEO, right? Yeah. So the, the classic question that, that so many people ask, and I don't even know if there's a perfect answer to it, is how much should we invest in SEO? What's your take on that? 
So I think if you think of like what your returns are going to be, and like, I, you know, I said a few times that company that wants a billion dollars in five years, you know, whatever, whatever else they invest in an initiative, that's going to return a billion dollars over five years. And, you know, that that's going to be a personal number for them. I think when you think about, and I like to do a top down number for SEO. So like too often SEO teams and SEO employees, they do a bottoms up number, which is right now you spent a thousand dollars a year because you have a SEMrush subscription. I would like to uh, grow. I would like to spend $10,000 per year, or I would like to spend $30,000 per year and get, you know, an enterprise SEO tool, right? Like let's, let's say that, that, and then their boss is like, really, you want to like increase our budget 30 times. Instead, I approach it from a top-down approach was like, you spend $2 million per month on paid marketing. That's $24 million per year. I would like to spend a half a million dollars per year on organic. And if you look at the numbers, we're actually driving the exact same amount of conversions on organic as paid marketing. And right now we spend $1,000 on a Samurai subscription. Could we possibly spend $500,000 compared to your 24 million? And then you might let you might get a response of like, how about you spend $300,000, right? And then go do your happy dance, right? You just got a ton of money to spend on SEO. And I think that's the way to approach it. Or uh, again, like going back to billion dollars, you would like to get a billion dollars over five years. Do you think it's reasonable that maybe we could spend half a million dollars this year and see how close we get to that goal of a billion dollars? Yes, right? Like those are much easier yeses to get than right now all we spend is a subscription to SEMrush. And you have to account for all those costs. Again, if you think about it like a product, you can say, all right, I would like to get a marketing team. I would like to get a content team to help create this content. I want to use this engineering resource. Here's my investment. And then you can roll it all together and say, today we're spending this amount of money. And again, you're spending this amount of money on paid marketing. And if that paid marketer person goes on vacation or they quit, you have no other way of continuing to spend the paid marketing and all of the past paid marketing disappears because it's, you know, it's, it's an instant gratification channel, which means if you stop spending on it, it goes away. Like the better way I think the better analogy for that is renting versus owning, right? With paid marketing, you're renting. As soon as you stop paying your rent, you are evicted. Whereas like you're owning, yes, you may stop paying your mortgage, which is not ideal, never recommended, but you still have some equity in the house. Like you built something. So that's the way I'd approach it. Again, that, it's a personal number of how much to invest in it, but the math of how to pitch that investment, that I think there's a logical way to do it. Let's, let's, let's uh, top that conversation off with a dive into the compounding effect of SEO. You described that in the book as well. Uh, what is that? So continuing on that idea of renting versus owning. So you start, and I think it starts very small, right? Everybody listening to this or anybody who's ever done SEO is going to think about like this. The first time you do SEO, the first time you do anything, you open up Google search console, you have zero. And then, you know, a week later, okay, we're going to be realistic about our timelines here. A week later, you have 10 clicks and you're like, wow, I've gone from zero to 10 clicks. You're not really going to tell your parents about that. Like I've now got 10 organic clicks on my website, but you went from zero to 10. That's a pretty big deal. A month later, you potentially, again, we're being realistic about timelines here, you're at 100 clicks. So you 10x that number. Still not very exciting. But now if you slow down and you start looking over months of time, within six months, you may be at 10,000 clicks. Again, with all the same effort you put in there, you're putting more like a little bit more content. Google starting to recognize your content. Google starting to recognize authority of your website. You maybe picked up some links. You had a relevant market. People are searching for that. And you're teaching Google that your website is relevant for that category. That's how we'll continue growing. And I've seen their sites that like, they'll create their content and then pause and stop looking at SEO. And then they come back and say, wow, 
we have 10,000 clicks per month on SEO and we have no idea where that even came from. We, you know, last time we looked, it was a hundred clicks per month. So that's the compounding effect. It just, as I, I think about it as content marinating in Google, as it marinates and the machine learning happens to it and you're teaching the algorithm that this content is relevant, you're teaching users who your brand is on search, it automatically compounds. You know, again, I keep repeating the billion dollar example, but that's the same thing will happen. The first year, this company may only generate a million dollars from SEO. But at the, in the fifth year, they may be generating a half a billion dollars from SEO. And that's the compounding effect that it's very much not like paid marketing. I'm going to spend a million dollars today and hopefully return a million dollars in one tomorrow. You're going to spend a million dollars today on SEO. And that million dollars turns into a billion dollars in five years. And that is, you know, that's a really, really good retirement account. <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds like. The dream. Uh, but speaking of the dream, uh, I want to switch gears a little bit and uh, speak for a couple of minutes about the process of writing and what it's like to, to write that book. Um, so and I think it's interesting in part because publishing a book is obviously a milestone in life. I think it's something that you can be very proud of. I think it's difficult and hard. On the other hand, I think it's it's a great exercise to go through to write something down that you know and can charge money for, right? And you have that this body of work and it's also a body of your knowledge. So how did you approach writing that book? Like when, where did you write? How did you write it? Uh, tell me a bit about that. Oh, it was, it was very difficult to write. It, it, I had to stay motivated. When you have a goal and you're like, okay, in two years from now, I'm going to actually have something to point to. And then you have to stay motivated to do it like every single day. It, it was, I really liked putting my thoughts out. I love reading your blog posts for so long and you should roll them all into a book. But like, it's that idea, but really thinking about it in the long term. Like it was absolutely a marathon of this idea will tie into the next idea, which I'm not even going to work on for a month. And, you know, I wrote some of the ideas and then I felt like there were huge gaps and it took a long time to like have these conversations with executives and say like, you know, the way I just explained that to this executive, maybe that belongs in the book. So that was the process and looking over a long period of time, instead of like, I'm going to sit down over a weekend and, and write and, you know, keeping, making sure that, you know, when I was done, I'm like, have I answered all the possible questions for the target audience? And I think I'll never be complete there, but I do think it's, it, you know, it accomplishes a lot of what I set out to do. So I'm really glad I did it. I'm motivated to write another book, not an SEO. I think I said everything there. I can say, you know, there, there are certain things that everyone's good at. Like, I think you're great at like newsletters and I would love to be able to like have that sustained, you know, interest in putting out a newsletter. I'm, I'm probably better at the longer, like, ah, you know, I'll write and then I'll pause for a month and eventually this will turn into a book. <laughs> Thanks man. Uh, but yeah, it, it turned out really great. Like, and that, cause I know I, I'm going to get that question. Like, did you write in Google docs? Did you use a certain tool? Did you write with pen and paper? Like, what was that? The tooling side? Like, I used Word. I, I actually have started to really, really love the Office products. I hear you, man. I think they're they're vastly underrated. Yeah, I mean, I I started doing decks again because I'm doing present like conferences are coming back, and for anybody that hasn't used the design ideas tool in PowerPoint, you're missing out. I don't know. Have you ever tried it? Tried a couple times. Yeah. Uh, okay. If you have a, I can um, take my same deck and I can I can make it a completely different deck by just clicking design ideas. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's some really cool stuff in there. Uh, same with Excel. They start to, to build in some of these um, features as well that make you suggestions of how to slice and dice the data. Like that's super powerful. 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, when you're working with a, you know, large, whatever, whether it's a large PowerPoint or a large uh, sheet or a large uh, word doc, like my, my book is a large word doc. I find that Google struggles and yeah. office has been amazing. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Um, did you, did you set aside time to write or did you just like write when motivation was striking? Like how, what did that look like? I set word count goals per week and I always miss them. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, this week I'm going to write 5,000 words. And then I would like, you know, keep struggling to get to my 5,000, but I was able to do 3,000 and word count was incredibly important to me. And like, cause I wanted to complete this idea. Yes. Like I worked with an editor who like chopped up out a lot of my words, but like the point was, is that I, I had wanted to be as complete as possible. So there was what to cut instead of like, all right, well, this is what an algorithm is called a day. <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome. Uh, what and, and uh, what did the publishing side look like? Uh, how did you find a publisher, um, or how did you how did you think about that? So I worked with a publisher called Scribe, and uh, they used to be called Book in the Box. So it's a hybrid self publisher slash publisher. Like you go, reach out to them, and they think there's a fit. The difference between them and a publishing house is I was able to control more of the process because I paid them. And all, and one of the things that was most important to me in this is that I own the, the rights to my book and I get all the royalties from the book. So like, I wanted to be able to buy as many of my own books as possible and give them out to people. When you work with a publishing house, it's the opposite. So like a, a friend of mine who published a book with, uh, I think Wiley or, you know, one of the big publishers, he told me that when he goes to a conference and he wants to give out his book for free, he has to pay $16 per book. Whereas like the cover price is $20. And when I go out to, you know, I, I want to give out my book, I can buy it for $4 a book. Like that's the cost of the paper. Yeah. Oh, that, that's, that's painful. Uh, $16. The second last question that I want to ask you is uh, what's your next book going to be about? So I, I dedicated my book to Dave Goldberg, who is the, the CEO of Survey Monkey. And you know, the, the reason I dedicated the book to him was I had this dream and I, I, I have a, a longer post on it. Now it's on my site. Um, I have a longer post on it, but like I, I wanted to move to Asia. I wanted to learn more about international marketing. And I actually gotten another job to move over to, to Singapore and lead an agency. And when I went to give notice to the Survey Monkey, I was within 20 minutes, I was talking to Dave Goldberg and he insisted that I was not going to leave his company and he was going to do whatever it took to keep me, you know, after him trying to convince me, I shouldn't go to Singapore and I shouldn't leave. He enabled me to do that. Like that was my dream. And he didn't want to do like, he sat me in the office of one of Survey Monkey's investors. He allowed me to write my own job title. He, um, I found that after he passed away that the, essentially the company spent many more times my salary to send me there than my salary, right? They, you know, I had full healthcare and that was all like, he was enabling my dreams. So that's why I dedicated the book to him because, you know, I, I don't think I'd have the career I have today if, if not for him. And in that process of, you know, writing this book and thinking about what Dave Goldberg enabled for me, I realized that there probably are many more leaders just like Dave Goldberg, but we don't, there aren't books about them. You know, we talk about like how, you know, maybe not so nice Steve Jobs was. And, and you know, the social network talks about how Zuckerberg founded uh, Facebook and, and maybe wasn't as nice to his friends and co-founders as, you know, he should have been. Or uh, the, the book about Jeff Bezos and a lot of other business leaders. And I'd love to write a book about the kind business leaders and share some of those examples and have access to the stories. Like, and I've heard amazing stories about Dave Goldberg and like, I don't know that whether he could be in my book or whether he should be in my book or whether, but that's the idea. And that's what I want the next book to be. 
all the power to you. Eli Schwartz, author of the recently published book, Product-Led SEO. Eli, before I let you go, last question, where can people find and follow you? So you can find me on LinkedIn. Just look for Eli Schwartz. You can find me on Twitter at 5LE. And I have uh, a blog, which I need to start blogging more now that I, I, I've stopped writing a book at elishwartz.co. And I have a beautiful website that which Wix helped me build product-led SEO for the book. So those are all the places you can find me. And I, I'd love to hear feedback from anyone that reads the book or questions. Like that is exactly why I wrote the book, like to have a two-way conversation. At the end of the book, I give out my email address and uh, someone actually emailed me and said, how come you, when I go to, I, I went to your website that you mentioned in the book and you don't have a lead funnel. Like you don't have like a, you know, what, what's it called? The uh, squeeze page. I'm like, cause it's not, this is not a lead book. It's not, I'm not meant to try to sell upsell people into anything. Like I wrote a book cause I, I think this book needs to be out there. I think this message needs to be out there. So questions, comments, totally want to hear from you. Eli, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. It's great to be here with you, Kevin. Thank you. And cut. Here we go. That's a wrap. Three, two, one.